All right, we are in John chapter 20. The next part of the story, that's baby Graham. He's lovely. We we pronounce it with two syllables. You you do it with one, right? Graham? Okay. I'll teach you English one day. It's a lovely language. It is. Uh, Over here, you would call somebody with the last name M-O-O-R-E, Moore, and we pronounce it Moore. Oh, I say, just remember a cow's job description, Moore. So it would be Graham Moore. Doesn't that sound better? Come on. What you've given up? Anyway, and you could have talked like it, but you shot us, so we're moving on. John 20. This is the next chapter. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, So, let's talk about that. You don't want to become really dogmatic about this, but as a general rule, sundown on Saturday to them is the beginning of Sunday. And so sometime after dark Saturday, and while it was still dark on Sunday, somewhere in there, this is the first time they can move. Why did they have to wait? It had nothing to do with soldiers or gathering material. It was all about Sabbath. You couldn't go do this on Sabbath. So they waited. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And again, more modern people are, uh, scholars are arguing, and they have good arguments that that's Luke. Traditionally, we believe that that's John They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Now stop right there. Notice she didn't run back saying, he is risen. The reason is not that she had a lack of faith. She had a lack of experience. We're not ready for risen people. That's that's not not part of our story. And it certainly wasn't part of their story because they didn't quite understand the scriptures. They didn't understand what Jesus had been saying to them. So, Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Men, even right in the story, they have to say, I won. It was a race. Peter started first, but I took him in a third lap. Men. Anyway, we're going to talk about men next week, too. We talk about birth. Hang on. Hope I have a job the next week. Um, Other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, this is it's actually a pretty funny story. He bent over. He's, he's looking in. You don't want to expose your whole body, right? So he's looking in, and he sees the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along. I love that. Came along. Like, eventually, you know, the old man made it. But being Peter, he went straight into the tomb. This is, John got there first. He's watching everything, and Peter just, <laughs> right past him. Why? Because that's who Peter was. Peter was always all in. And, I, you know, I love that. We have a, um, I love the fact our oldest grand wakes up, if you ever watch Spinal Tap, he wakes up at 11. Not the clock. He's turned to 11 on a dial that goes to 10. It's just, he does not get up. He explodes. <laughs> and he is like that until he is done with the day. He never slows. And then when the bedtime comes and you put him in there, you think, he, he's going to vibrate this bed all over the floor. And then he's gone. 
That's all his speed. But you know something? If you've got a kid like that in your life, love them because they'll love you all the way. They will, they will run to you. They, they hold nothing back. And Peter was one of those guys. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in its place, lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, <coughs> we know, also went inside. I love the humanity in Scripture. He saw and believed. So what did he believe? Well, there's a parenthetical statement here. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, here's where we have to talk to you about how your Bible was put together. We did a whole thing on this last uh, summer, I think it was last summer. When you see a parenthetical statement, when we look back at the old manuscripts, very often that was in the margin. And eventually it got worked in. In other words, a copier was explaining what was happening at this point. And eventually that got moved into the text. Should that make us then go, oh, every word is God breathed? No, God can tell a copier what to write too. You know, he can, uh, let's, let's not worry about things like this. We have Jesus, we have the story. But again, something, uh, and it makes me wonder if the copier got it wrong here in that the disciple says he believed, but the copier says they still do not understand. What did he believe? That's a really good question because we don't have it. It's not spelled out for us. If the disciple whom Jesus loved who got there first was Luke, we also think Luke is one of the two guys on the road to Emmaus. If that is true, he didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and all was well. But he still believed in Jesus. Now think about that. He had no idea what had happened. He had no idea what would happen. He was disappointed and sad, but he still believed in Jesus. Now you remember John 11, where Jesus is standing in front of the sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus is right there in the grave, and he's looking at them in the eye, and he says, the people who believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? Are you willing to believe the impossible? Are you willing to go to the impossible, to, to the absurd? This guy was, but he didn't know where he was. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She didn't go in. Uh, she was a more obedient Jew at this stage than, than Peter because you didn't go around dead people because uh, if you were, then you were unclean. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. I want to stop here. There are people who will read the different gospel accounts and say, oh, there are contradictions here. Uh, one of the contradictions they'll do is say, there's one angel, there are two angels, there's no angel. Yes. Well, what about, isn't that a contradiction? No, angels aren't stationary. They're moving. They're doing stuff. There are Romans, and there are hateful rioters in the street, and there are believers that are cowering in fear. You'd better hope there are angels in the area. And they are coming and going, and they are protecting. Plus, I believe they had to protect the, what do we call it, crime scene? Um, because 
you could go in there and play with this and stick another body in there and you could do this, that, and the other and claim, no, he's still there. Angels are making sure nobody messes with this. But they're also there to give comfort. They, angels don't get us. You need, to, you need to know that. They don't want you to know their name. They don't want you to worship them. They don't want you to wear a little angel pen. They don't want you to, and by the way, if you're wearing an angel pen, I'm, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just saying from an angel's viewpoint, they are mightier than you, but they are here to serve you, and they know that one day you will be above them. All right? So they're here to do their job. They're not here for your attention. But they, they've never put on your flesh and walked and done what you've done to the point where sometimes when they speak, it can be a little harsh. They, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? This is a duh statement to us, is it not? Do you ever, ever at a funeral look over and go, what are you doing? Why are you crying? <laughs> no, we know why we're crying. Think of it, angels have never lost anybody. The, the rebellious angels, we could argue that bit. But they've, she says, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Albert and I talked a little bit about this, um, this last week, about when Jesus came back, what was his body? You know, his physical body, but it was also a spiritual body. There was something different. He had scars, but people didn't recognize him. Remember, he'd gone through a physical beating. That could be a lot of it. It could be that the spiritual body threw some off. But again, it was a physical body that ate and drank with them, but they could also go through a door. The Bible says what we will be is not what we look like now. Something happens. We are changed. This is pretty exciting stuff. She doesn't know it's Jesus. So he asked her the question the angels did. But when God asks you that question, it is always metaphorical, not metaphorical philosophical. Remember the first question, where are you? Where are you? Now, did God know where Adam was? Of course he did. He's God. Did Adam know where Adam was? Not really. He knew where he was physically. He didn't realize where he was now spiritually. He was somewhere else spiritually. So Jesus says, why are you crying? And then he adds quickly, who is it you're looking for? That's a question we need to ask people. Um, our Muslim friends right now are fasting during the day. Uh, this is their Ramadan. And at night they eat. The end of Ramadan is June 11th. And at the Music City Center, downtown Nashville, there's the iftar. The iftar is the meal that breaks the fast. And I'm going to be there to be with them. Uh, Cammy was going to be, but she needs to go be with her mom at that time. So I got Mark Street to go with me. He's got my other ticket. And I just sent a message to Nahed Zur today, the, the one heading it up, saying, can I get two more tickets? I'd like to bring somebody else with me. And um, I'll see what the response is. I'm not going to check my phone during church because that's a sin. Um, and you're not fooling anybody. We know you're not reading the Bible. There you are. Um, the, the, uh, I, I'm looking forward to, to being with them. And one of the things that 
a friend of ours is, has been a lifelong missionary, I say lifelong, the last half of his life, in Indonesia, the most populous Muslim country on the planet. Winston says they don't know that they're looking for a personal relationship with a God who loves them, but when they start hearing about it, they realize that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that. And I can tell you, when I start telling Jesus stories around Muslims, they don't, I've never received anything but rabid interest, just a hunger. Um, and again, I've not, not worked with terrorists. Most of them aren't. So this whole thing of who are you looking for? When I ran a counseling clinic, people came in for everything, and sometimes they would come in for weight. And as I, you probably surmised from the sermon, I'm not a food Nazi, and I don't really want to do that to anybody. But if you want to lose weight and you're looking for help, I'll, I'll talk to you. And the, the young lady talked about when she ate. You always have to ask for patterns and, and such. And I asked her to ask herself a question. I said, go ahead and eat whatever you want. Seriously, do it. But before you eat, ask yourself, what am I really hungry for? And it might be companionship. It might be entertainment. It might be comfort. It might be something other than food. And therefore, that's really not going to do it. And we talked about other things as well. But the, the, those kind of questions, we don't examine our own life. And uh, Socrates warned us, that's a great tragedy to live an unexamined life. So where are you? Who are you, who are you looking for? She was looking for a dead man. She didn't know what she was getting. And C.S. Lewis makes a big deal of this, as so he should. Um, and saying a big deal acts like I'm, that sounds like I'm putting down what he did. No, no, it's brilliant. But he really works on this. What are you looking for? And too many of us are comforted by going through a ritual on Sunday, and that's enough. Or writing a check on Sunday, and that's enough. Not who are a risen Savior who is also your Lord? Is that what you're looking for? There's a big difference between the God we want and the God we've got. Who are you looking for? That's, um, I talked to, is Gil in our room today? I talked to Gil this morning. He would not mind me sharing this story. Gil lost his dearly loved wife this last week. We all knew it was coming. Cam uh, really showed us how to do it. She really did. Uh, her last words, right before she went, I mean, seconds before she went, was to tell Gil, say, I loved you. I mean, that's what you want. I'm going to be doing something like, who left the light on in the bathroom? You know, I, it's, it's not going to be that good a story. But talking to Gil, he talked about how he's gone through anger with God. And I said, let me share with you something the rabbis taught me couple Jewish rabbis, and it took, it took years for me to really accept it. Sometimes when God disappoints you, you need to forgive him. You need to go to him in prayer, tell him how he let you down, and say, but I forgive you. That's so hard for us, isn't it? But that's what he wants. Come on, he says, let's work this out together. Randy, you've got a question?
Yes. No, but, but I heard that all my life, so I get that too. In Zechariah, two angels, female, with wings. I was also told angels don't have wings. In Zechariah, two, two angels come from heaven. They are female with long hair. They have wings, and they have a basket in between them. And they stop when God tells them to stop and shows Zechariah what's in there, and it's evil. They are removing evil from the earth. So... I was told all my life that they're always male and that they don't have wings in Zechariah. Right, Brother Albert? Yeah. Yes, mainly it's men. Uh, but you, you find that it's not as easy to nail this thing down as you think. Yes. Yes. Hebrews says that we may have entertained angels unaware. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, he's asking, does an angel inhabit a human body when it visits, or is it um, I would say most of the things in Scripture indicate that it's not in anybody else's body but its own when it comes, right? Um, I believe that angels can work through us, but I don't believe that they inhabit our body. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's not the job of an angel. But an angel can set up a scenario uh, with the help of God. The angel can see ahead of us and, and move some things about. And, and if you're asking, yes, I believe that angels can look like people. And that they, sometimes you, you see them once and you never see them again. I've told the story so many times, and I'm sorry, but this, I've often wondered if this lady, an older lady stooped over carrying her groceries, as in Scotland we call them messages, and I don't know why, uh, might have been an angel, but in Inverness, whenever uh, the Highlands uh, of Scotland found a parking place, wasn't thinking, threw open my door, because this is the driver's side, threw open my door and almost knocked her off the pavement. And before I could even say, oh, I'm so sorry, she said, Jesus loves you, and kept walking. And I, my first thought was, I, I, I know, I, I, work, I work for him, but she's gone. And I often wonder, does, does God every now and then do a drive-by for us just to say, come on, get your head right? I don't know. Yes? They, uh, they just do their job. They are created to do their job. And it's, it's a lot more complex than we might think. Um, we'll know more later. Paul says we will know then, even as we are known. Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah, let's, let's get... Absolutely. She recognized the voice. That's why I read the Gospels over and over again for six months. 
in psychology, there are, there are over 400 modalities that are styles or philosophies of psychology. Uh, one of them is called TA or transactional analysis. And there's a lot of good in all of these, by the way, so I'm, I'm not picking a fave here. But it was really big in the 70s with the I'm OK, You're OK books you may have seen. Um, the books were not nearly as shallow as that. That was just their way of getting you to buy the book. But one of the things, if you're in transactional analysis, that they will ask you is to pay attention to the voices in your head and then ask yourself, who does that sound like? You know, I, ha I lived with a tremendous amount of shame and depression. And I began to realize that those voices sounded like people in my life that I'd left, but I'd taken those with me. And in religion, almost every voice I heard in my head was not Jesus. And so I, if I was going to give religion a fair shake, I needed to read the Gospels. And so I read them and read them and read them. Frankly, I found them fascinating and boring according to what kind of day I was having. But I kept reading them. And after a while, it was, I got to where I heard a different voice. And so let me, I'm going to add to this. We were having the same issue everybody else had in, in the 80s. We were in Scotland, and it was uh, with marriage and divorce and remarriage. Where are we? What do we do? And some friend, I think, sent it. I don't think we bought it, but I asked for it. A debate between two members of the church, one that has the more open and uh, you, know, you can get married against it, and then the other one, what we used to call the traditional until I found out we didn't teach that until 1928 at the earliest. It's kind of hard to... Anyway... And so I read through the debate, and I remember Cammie was watching me read through it, and at the very end, I closed it, and she asked me, what do you think? I'm compressing this conversation. And my response was, I know who says what I've always said and agrees with, but the other guy sounds like Jesus. And that began a little crack there. And so I decided to read other debates. When I was a boy, I read debate books, but I didn't read the oldest ones. So I started reading Alexander Campbell's debates. And I was shocked. He treated everybody kindly and as brothers. And very famously, in one Baptist, um, it was the Campbell-Purcell debate. I'm sure Baptists call it the Purcell-Campbell debate. Um, the Baptist preacher was getting pretty hot about things. And Campbell stood up and said, I find great comfort knowing without any doubt that even if you and I cannot agree upon these small matters on this earth, we will be brothers in heaven. And I started going, we used to act like that? That's not the voices in my head. And so you are absolutely right, Albert. Uh, of course, you're right, Albert. Uh, you're strong, Mr. Universe. We know this. Anyway, um, the... We love and honor you, and I hope you feel loved and honored every time you're here. And we also love and honor your brain, which is sitting right beside you, Patsy. Uh, it is how you say the voice. Uh, do you ever argue with Siri? <laughs> Siri cannot pronounce Cammy's name right. It's Kami. Going, really? You think she's a red? You think she's a Soviet, do you? We get, oh, it gets hot. And, uh, and, but she, she cannot pronounce it. 
I, I, I would hope to think that when Cami hears my voice, she hears something different than when she hears yours. I don't like my voice, never have. It's too high-pitched, too squeaky. I wanted an FM voice. I got Mickey Mouse on helium. I, it, it was, you know, after a vacation in Scotland. And I, um, I, I don't like it. But the thing is, when I call somebody and I've not talked to them in 20, 30 years, it's amazing how many people know it's me before I even say who it is. And they'll say, well, I just, you know, I've even had people say, I missed your voice. I'm going, seriously? Your life is that empty. Anyway, uh, I do that inside. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell him where you put him and I'll get him. I, wonder, I don't want to rush past that. There are people in the streets looking for believers. Some are Romans. Most of them are Jewish rabble-rousers, not the average Jew. All right? These are the people that will protest anything and get upset at anything and go and become violent because you, they have a permission to become violent. Every culture has them. Everyone. You know, where do you get the people that run the death camps for the Nazis? They're always here. They are always here. And so here they're given permission to go after Christians and to feel superior to Christians. And Christians are a danger and the Romans won't stop us because we're, we're the Pax Romana. We are keeping the peace. Um, and this woman, is, and I have no idea what her age was, is saying, I will go and get the body and take care of the body. The courage of that statement stands in stark contrast to Peter denying the Christ and so many other voices of cowardice. And I'm not being mean at Peter. Peter would say the same thing. Peter turned around and was brilliant, and we all know that. But we have to deal with reality. Who is it you're looking for? She was looking for a dead body. I agree with C.S. Lewis again. He said, it is not that we want too much. It is that we settle for too little. One of, the, one of our members here, uh, he's in a different class, was a Marine, and he and I talk a lot. And he caught me at the Lord's table, and he said, did you ever see a video of Churchill's funeral? And I said, no, I didn't even know that existed. I'm a, kind of a Churchill fan. Not, not everything. You can be a fan of a guy's life and not approve of everything. And I'm I really, really a fan. He said, at his funeral, he had it written what would be done on one side of the beer, that's the B-I-E-R, that's the place where they place the coffin. They had a, a military bugler play taps. On the other side, it was followed with reveille to show he was passing through. He is not done. He is moving. But while we hear taps, he hears reveille in glory. Isn't that cool? I didn't know that, so I learned something today. He was, um, he said, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, again parenthetical, which means teacher. Why, why is, what's the significance of crying out in Aramaic? There are a couple things you could say here. I'm not trying to trick you. It's the language of their childhood. It's the language they would have spoken on the playground. But it's also the language, you go back to the language of your childhood when you're very, very excited, overcome. You know, if you were raised in France, you could be in America for 40, 50 years, 
when the cancer hurts at a certain level, you're going to, you're going to French. Uh, when a person walks in that you love, you're going to French. That's, and that, that's just the way our minds work. And uh, there are reasons for it. We don't need to get into all that. You can probably suss a lot of that out yourself. We, we go back to what is remembered. Um, remember Ecclesiastes, remember the Creator in the days of your youth? When is it easier to, rem to memorize Scripture? When you're 12 or when you're 82? We all know the answer to that. Or you used to and you forgot it. And that's making my point. You go back to what you understood earlier. And she knew my teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Now, this is translated so many different ways. Touch me not, whatever. It really gets into... She did a flying hug, and it was, it was not letting loose. <laughs> and I don't, let's play this a couple of different ways, okay? Let's do it humor, for I've not yet ascended to my father. In other words, you're going to kill me. That would have been funny. It would have been. Well, you're, you know, you're, you're, that would have been hilarious, and Jesus was funny. He said things that were funny, but we're not Semites, and so we don't really get the, the, um, the jokes. Our language works in a different way. Or, Peter, in writing, talks about Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison. That's kind of weird. Um, we don't know what happened when he was in the tomb entirely. We guess. We have little glimpses. I tell people, you think you know, but it's, you're a person on a train, and you're taking a journey, and as you pass, there's a house with one window lit, and you're trying to write a book about what you saw through that window in a second as you passed. We're just getting glimpses. We can't put it all together. I think because our, our brains don't work in the non-physics level where Jesus went. Please remember, God does not live in the land of physics. We do. Physics are the traffic laws of the universe. They mean nothing to him. That's one. Another is, I'm not done yet. So if it's not a joke, it's more like, I'm not done yet. I've got, I've got to move. I need to do some things. So either way, where, where he's going is not to the apostles. He says, go to, and said to my brothers, tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. The relationship has changed, hasn't it? I'm not your Savior and Lord only. I'm now your brother. He is your father too. We are together now. Whatever he did, evened it. And that's, that's startling. But we cannot let this pass. Who was the first minister? Evangelist. Evangelist. Evangelist means someone spreading the good news. Who was the first evangelist of the risen Lord? A woman. Well, yeah, no, no, I said the risen Lord, uh, not the birth Lord. Anna was the birth, and we can back it up. We can do who was the one that found the scripture, or uh, knew it was scripture, Huldah. Who was um, the, the one who knew who Jesus was when he was born? Anna. Who was the first preacher? Mary. Who was the first person Jesus told he was the son of God? The Samaritan woman. We need to remember this. Because there are people that will try to take one or two verses of Paul where he's talking to a specific situation 
and make it a worldwide forever law, and it wasn't intended to be. And they rip it right out of there, right beside a verse that says you're not supposed to wear any gold or jewelry or work with your hair. I obey that. My hair is styled by God as I drive the slingshot around. And sometimes it is rather bizarre, but I find that if it's really bad, people give me money and offer me a sandwich. So don't rip it all out. Here's Mary, and she's our first evangelist. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. By the way, the other gospels tell us what was their reaction. No. No, you didn't. First of all, guys, sometimes we need to get over ourselves. But I can kind of see that. You know, um, I was, because uh, i thinking, sure you saw him. You know, who knows what their relationship was. We tend to doubt things. Uh, I, I can re- always remember... I will not tell the state or where it was, but it was not here. Because people listen. I don't want them to put two and two together and get six. Uh, I, I went to see a woman who was not a member of our church, but who was dearly loved by some of our church people in hospital. I went to see her several times. And she had legal pads. She was just filling up with writing. And I asked her, what are you doing? And she says, God's giving me poetry. And it is just filling my soul, and I'm writing it down. And... She said, here. She didn't ask if I wanted to. She said, here. I started reading it, and I have a cold, callous heart. My first thought was, no, he writes better than this. He can rhyme, and he knows meter. He can spell. And I'm just going, I, I have to fight my inbred cynicism. I do. Uh, and, and again, if you don't have cynicism realize that doesn't mean you're better than me. It means you were given a gift I wasn't given. It's kind of like Cammy and I are going to celebrate uh, 39 years marriage uh, at the end of June. We do not assume that means we, we do marriage better than those of you who are on two or three. I assume God knew I couldn't make it with anybody else but her. And so instead of a strength, it can be a sign of weakness. And God understood. All right? So let's, let's open up about these things and say, all right, guys, if somebody came to you and said, that guy we buried, angels, told, uh, angels were there, and then he showed up and told me he's alive and I'm supposed to tell you. Now, you've never been to vacation Bible school. You've never done the rocks upon you never done that. You gonna tell me you believe immediately? I think we should give them grace, don't you? But again, I, I do, but at the other side I want to go, guys, he laid clues. In fact, he had to show the man on the road to Emmaus he left clues, right? Go for it, Albert. You look like you're ready. Wow. I wonder if we could break that out, getting the copies, because the different Gospels, and see how many individuals... That's, that's your job this week. Uh, how many, <laughs> because that, that 31 times, that's pretty impressive. 
Well, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fears of the Jewish leaders, and again, I do get a bit annoyed with them about this because he kept saying, go to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Go to Galilee. And where are they? They're locked in a room. Now, this, you knew you were to clear the area and they're locked in a room. Jesus came and stood among them. So this body... It is a physical body in that it has scars. You can see it, and it eats and drinks. But there's something different about this body. You can just walk into the room. And so, um, pretty amazing stuff here. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. (laughs) Would would that be the first thing you'd think God would say if he walked into the room? It's more like, I told you, go to Galilee. Does this look like Galilee? Is anybody hearing the lake? I don't think so. Oh, let me go fishing. Oh, I can't. I'm in a locked room. He didn't do any of this. There are voices in my head. and I, they, um, If ever you got inside my head, you would pay money to get out. Um, you never need to go to an amusement park again. There, uh, I can walk along in my house and every now and then stop and go, Wee. Um, it, it's an interesting park full of dark rides. Um, here's, the, here's the thing. Thank you. I, um, I've, I've never, ever taken illegal drugs because I know what's up there. I don't want to poke it. Uh, this, this was the, no, you don't want this to happen. And people, somebody this week said, let me run over and get you coffee. And I went, I, I don't drink coffee. And they said, why not? Now, it's really because I don't like the taste. And if you get it where I like it, it's, it's a melted Hershey bar. It's not, it's not, uh, I don't really want that. But uh, my response was, Cammy says I'm not allowed to have caffeine. And they said, oh, I get that. <laughs> really? It's supposed to be a joke. Anyway, good plan, Patrick. Sit down. Good boy. Um, he says, peace be with you. That sounds awful familiar. Isn't that what God said when he was born too? How many times does God have to say peace to you before we quit thinking of God as being eternally disappointed in us and ready to unleash his wrath? How many times? I I know many preachers, I did it, I did it too, that inspired fear, trepidation. Oh no. I can remember we... We had this one church building where we would go that had a metal roof. And, and you can do metal roofs now that are very insulated and very expensive, frankly. This wasn't one of those. It was this metal roof on metal girders. Girders. And every time it rained, services, we just stopped. Because you couldn't hear anything. I had a wedding like that at the factory. <laughs> we did a wedding and a thunderstorm came and they didn't, they didn't uh, pay a pony up for the... Uh, Microphones, so nobody could hear anything. We're all standing around looking around. How about them preds? You know, nobody could hear anything. That was, that was awful. But as the rain would come, the preachers would, would thunder at us and say, with the next clap of thunder, the next lightning bolt, Jesus could be back. And not everybody in here who thinks they're saved are saved. And we're going, and it's the whole Lord's Supper table again, going, is it me? Is it me? You know, we're, we're, who is? it was terrifying. And yet when Jesus walks in, what does he say? What does Jesus' voice sound like? Sounds like somebody loves you. Peace. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Wow, why would he have to say it again? Because there's another sentence. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In other words, you don't belong in a locked room. Be at peace, go. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, Brother Albert here could stand up here for the next three or four hours and talk about the significance of breathing. We're going to talk some about that next week, actually, in a sermon about birth. Uh, we're going to do some science on you, but show up anyway. Um, God breathed into a handmade creation, and he became a living soul. God made everything by the power of his voice and will, except you. Humans he made by hand, and he breathed into them. And we find this breath, this ruach, all through scripture. And the one who uh, is the third person in the Trinity, not by power, not by prestige, but just the way we name them, the Spirit of God is referred to many times as breath, wind, moving within us. Yes? Oh, I can do that. Uh, actually, it's time for us to stop, so I'll do that right now, real quick. She said, can you differentiate between the, the receiving of the Spirit here and in Acts? There is a difference between receiving the Spirit and receiving gifts from the Spirit. And in Acts, you find both happening, but you'll see that they differ in the effects upon the person. If you receive gifts, then you have miraculous abilities. Um, nobody got them all. If you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, your gift is that the Holy Spirit comes. And I've heard people say, well, that doesn't sound like much of a gift. Seriously? Seriously? When a bride comes in, she's your gift, and you're going, eh, but she can play piano. I can't. No. You're receiving the gift of her presence. You're receiving the gift of the presence of the Spirit in your life to guide you, your conscience. I mean, there's so many things the Spirit does for us. But we will record the class next week, and so we'll keep talking about this. Fair enough? These are visitors, friends of mine from um, Ohio and South Carolina. Actually, I can say the toys are from Ohio, can't I? Is that where you originated? No, I thought so as well. Um, so good friends of mine. You can catch up next week. There was a, Yes, Albert. Well, we think of John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb at the news an angel was sharing. And so there is something, and we're going to talk about this next week. We talk about birth. All right? But for now, I'm really done with you. Um, so, cheerio, run away.